Feast week has come and gone, and it saw its fair share of teams dining big at the Thanksgiving table and others that came away empty-handed. Well, which Big East teams feasted and which ones were caught in a bit of a famine? We're going to find out right here on this episode of the Igloo. Well, first and foremost, I can't even talk over myself, damn. But first and foremost, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope you all enjoyed it with your families. I know I had a good couple days in Pennsylvania before coming back on Saturday, back to upstate New York. And I'll tell you what, when I was down there, yeah, I watched quite a bit of hoops. And I know for a lot of you, y'all can say the same. But, so let's start on the men's side, shall we? Because, I mean, there's a lot to cover, including later on, by the way, December is just a couple days away. And the third annual Big East Big 12 battle will tip off that day. So just to give you something... To look forward to later on in the episode after this opening segment. Got the week one preview of the Big East Big 12 battle. And I'll talk more about who's going to be on and what games are going to be looked at a little later on. But let's start with the last game of the Paradise Jam. The third place game for Creighton taking on former Missouri Valley rival Southern Illinois. Both teams had their fair share of sizable leads. Creighton led by as many as nine early in the second half. And Southern Illinois rallied to go up by eight. With their, yeah, their biggest lead, they led by eight on two different occasions. With 5.08 to go and then as latest as four minutes remaining in the game. But Creighton, they closed the game on a 12-2 run, including a bucket at the buzzer by Ryan Nemhart to give Creighton a 66-64 win. For Nemhart, that was two of his 12 points in 36 minutes of action. Ryan Kalkbrenner only played 22 minutes and scored 14 points to go along with five rebounds and five block shots. Ryan Hawkins was pretty solid in this game with 13 points and 6 boards. Alex O'Connell battled foul trouble. Only played 21 minutes, scored 7 points, grabbed 5 rebounds. Off the bench, a huge contribution from Keyshawn Fizel with 9 points and a couple assists in 18 minutes. And Sharif Mitchell in 29 minutes, 4 points and 3 assists. The Blue Jays shot 49% from the field and was 6 of 14 from three-point range. Southern Illinois, same exact shooting percentage, 49%, and again, same exact clip at 25 for 51. However, from three, there were 5 for 14. They got 14 points each from Marcus Damask and Lance Jones, and then 10 off the bench from Kyler Filewich. And they also got nine from Ben Cooper Jr. But Creighton, in a battle of old Missouri Valley rivals, prevails by two. 
So Creighton, they go down to the Virgin Islands and they do exactly what they expected to do. Come away with a winning record. I know they would have much rather loved to go 3-0 and and take home a trophy there. But 2-1, and you got to be content with that. Meanwhile, Fort Myers tip-off, Seton Hall ranked 21st in the country, taking on Ohio State. Seton Hall got off to a pretty good start. However, when Seton Hall was up 24-19, Miles Kale went down hurt, did not return to the game, and he's not going to be back until a week or two from now. And the diagnosis was a strained groin. So without their best perimeter defender, Seton Hall's defense really faltered and they get outscored the rest of the first half, 21-11 to to go down five. And But credit Seton Hall, despite Ohio State getting a pretty good amount of distance, a separation by taking pretty decent leads, Seton Hall kept fighting back. And that's what's going to make this Seton Hall team so good. It's the fact that they refuse to lose. Even if they do lose, at least they go down without a fight. And, you know, they made a lot of big plays, including a big steal and layup for Jameer Harris that tied the game at 76. But the most clutch play came on a bomb of a three by Michi Johnson Jr. Chris Holman not electing to take a timeout and set up a final play. And it was the freshman, Michi Johnson, knocking down a three with about two seconds to go. Seton Hall just couldn't make the three that could tie the game and and prolong it. But Ohio State, they get this big win, 79-76. And really, biggest difference maker, I mean, Michi Johnson, yeah, he scored eight points, but that was off the bench. EJ Liddell had a monster game. 28 points, six rebounds, three block shots. 8 for 17 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3. And another guy that cooked him, Justin Arns, with 17. And he shot 5 of 8 from 3. There there were some points where it just seemed like he could have missed. Meanwhile, Kyle Young. He came up off the bench with 12 huge points and 8 rebounds. So keep in mind, Ohio State won this game by only three points. And that was even with them shooting 50% from three. Where Seton Hall shot only five of 23. And they were, Seton Hall also shot under 40% from the floor. However, they did hold, I mean, funny thing is, both teams shot a lot of free throws. Seton Hall was 23 for 27. Ohio State was 22 for 25. So, like I said, Johnson had eight. The Bucknell transfer, Jimmy Sotos, had six. And Zed Key also had six. But for Seton Hall, Jared Roden had a monster performance. An alpha dog type performance you want from a guy like him. 29 points, which was a game high. Eight for 15 from the floor. Two of five from three. No other Pirate was in double figures as a starter. However, how about the contributions from Bryce Aiken? A guy who... He's been battling injuries throughout his college career, but he has stayed healthy so far this year. And in this particular game, 30 minutes, 5 for 10 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3. 
and 16 points. That's, that's the Bryce Aiken everyone was expecting when he first burst onto the scene at Harvard. Meanwhile, they got nine from Jameer Harris, although he struggled shooting the rock, but he got that big tying layup off a of steal in the final minute. Tyree Samuel at seven, and Trey Jackson had five. You know, also worth noting, Iko Biagu knocked, uh, he blocked three shots and finished with four points and four rebounds on the night as well. But off nights from Alexis Yetna, Kadari Richmond, who battled foul trouble, and also he just and just struggled shooting the ball. And then, of course, Miles Kale, you know, he went down hurt, and that played a big role. So Seton Hall loses their first game in Fort Myers. However, they did bounce back, albeit. They struggled to do that against Cal, winning 62-59. And in an interesting move, Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard decided to start, instead of Obiagu, Richmond, and Harris, who I would have assumed would have started, he starts uh, Jahari Long, a guy who's barely played this year. Bryce Aiken, an understandable move, and Tyree Samuel. And Samuel's a little understandable, but... No true center in that lineup. Senal got off to a good start, but they really struggled to shoot the rock. And also worth noting, Seton Hall took twice as many free throws as Cal. 30-15. to 15. But Seton Hall, they're able to do enough and get by a bad Cal team, 62-59. And that was despite a game-high 23 points and 11 rebounds from Andre Kelly. And Jared Roden, again, another alpha male type performance. 21 points, 7 boards, 4 of 13 from the floor, just 1 of 4 from 3. And Seton Hall struggled shooting the 3. They were just 4 for 18, whereas Cal was 4 for 12. And Cal was also 22 for 49 from the floor, whereas Seton Hall was 17 for 50. They got 10 points each from Tyree Samuel and Alexis Yetna. And Yetna was much better in this game. 10 points, 7 boards. And the funny thing is, Jahari Long only played 5 minutes in this game as the starter. Aiken in the starting spot, though, 7 points, 3 boards, and a couple assists, 2 for 5 from the floor, knocked down a 3 as well. And Kadari Richmond, I guess getting relegated to the bench really lit a fire under him, as in 27 minutes, 12 points, 3 boards, 4 for 7 from the floor, knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. Uh, Other notable contribution for Cal, they got 15 from from Grant Antasevich, and off the bench, They got six from Jalen Celestine. And only six points from a couple of the other starters, Joel Brown and Jordan Shepard. So Seton Hall, I I know they wanted to have that a game against Ohio State and win that. So they could avoid facing a team like Cal. But they still win a game down at Fort Myers. A one-on-one trip. And then, of course, you know, I'll touch on what they did later on when they came home. A team that didn't fare so well in their tournament, Butler in the Maui Invitational, didn't look that good. Started with an, an absolute dem- demolition at the hands of Houston, 70-52, to and that was after they started off down 17 to nothing in the first six minutes. And they were down 21 at the break. So again, Butler's offense continues to look look anemic and doesn't help Bryce Enzies out. And Jair Bolden off the bench led the way with 16. They got 10 from Ty Gross. 
Chuck Harris struggled with only three points, but he did have four boards and five assists. Jaden Taylor with nine, five points, four boards, six assists from Aaron Thompson. Just one point from Bryce Golden. And they did get six points from Miles Wilmoth. But for Houston, obviously they were the story of this game, and they were led by Fabian White Jr. with a game-high 21 points and 10 points from Kyler Edwards, the transfer from Texas Tech. And also helps they got eight off the bench from Jamal Sheed. So Butler, not a good start. They lose in the opener to Houston. And then they lost to another Texas team the following day, 57-50. to And they start, again, another slow start doomed them. As, you know, it was tightly contested. It was 18-17 Butler. And then they got outscored the rest of the first half. 16 to 3 over the final 747. And from there, you know, it was too little too late. So AM wins, led by a game high 15 off the bench from Quentin Jackson. No other Aggie was in double figures. And Butler only had one player in double figures for themselves, which is Jair Bolden again. 26 minutes off the bench. Two for six from three. Three of nine from the floor. And the shooting numbers again bad. 5 for 20 from 3, 17 of 47 from the field. Whereas Texas A&M, they were 41% from the floor and 36% from 3. So, you have, you have to at least win a game, right? So, lucky for them, they get Chaminade. And they win that game, 84-51. The offense looked a hell of a lot better in this game. I know it's against Shamanah, but still, you need a confidence booster. And Jaden Taylor, after having a quiet first two nights in day three, 21 points, six of nine from the field, one of two from three. Ty Gross had 18. Bryce Golden finally woke up and scored 16 points. Jair Bolden started and scored a dozen. Oh yeah, and Chuck Harris went down hurt. In the, in the previous game. So without Chuck Harris, you know, Bolden in the starting spot plays well again. 12 points, 5 boards, 6 assists. 4 for 10 from the floor and 3 for 7 from 3. And how about the, how about the contributions they got off the bench from Seamus Locutius with 6. And he was perfect from 3 at 2 for 2. DJ Hughes had 6 points. They got 3 from Miles Wilmoth as well. And that was with Aaron Thompson going scoreless. Uh, meanwhile, for Chaminade, they, they were led by 12 points from Kevin Creamer, and they got 10 each from Treddin Christensen and Isaac Amaral Arthury. So Butler, obviously they would have rather gone 2-1, but at least they left Vegas with a win in that Maui Invitational that was really in Las Vegas. Meanwhile, the Roman Legends Classic, Providence starts off with a win against Northwestern. 77-72. They started off off they started off well. They were up nine at the break. Pace picked up in the second half, but Providence is able to pull away, winning 77-72. Nate Watson was great. 16 points, five boards, including a nasty poster dunk on an alley oop with the assist of Jared Bynum, who 
Had a good game himself. 15 points, 5 boards, 4 assists. They got 11 from Noah Horkler, as well as Al Durham. And how about 12 off the bench? Huge contribution from a guy who, you know, he made his 11 minutes counts, and that was Bryson Goodine, Goodine from the Syracuse transfer. 12 points, 2 boards, 4 for 5 from 3. A.J. Reeves only scored 6. Justin Minaya, who got the starting spot in his home state in New Jersey, only 3 points and 6 rebounds in 21 minutes. Meanwhile, for Northwestern, they were led by 23 from Boo Booey and 20 from Pete Nance. And their leading scorer off the bench got some nine got nine solid points from another New Jersey native, Ryan Young. And they also got seven from Ryan Greer. So Providence, the so both teams shot the ball well. You know, they were over 45% both from the field and from three. But Providence, X-Factor, yeah, they made 14 three-pointers compared to Northwestern's eight. However, that offense seemed to dissipate against Virginia. And credit the pack line defense, but Virginia dominates the Friars 58-40 to in the championship game the following night at Prudential Center. And the Cavaliers, they were led by 21 points and 13 rebounds from Jaden Gardner. 14 from Armand Franklin, the transfer from Indiana. 10 from Kihei Clark as well. Meanwhile, for Providence, I mean, really, it was two guys carrying the load. Actually, no, more like three. With Noah Horkler scoring 14 points and grabbing seven rebounds. 10 points from Al Durham and eight from Nate Watson. But Providence really struggled to shoot the ball. 12 for 51 from the floor, which is 23.5%. And just three for 22 from three which is 13.6%. Meanwhile, Virginia was 50% from three at six for 12, and they were right around 49% from the field. So Providence, that was their first loss of the year as they fall to the Hoos in the championship game of the Legends Classic. Meanwhile, in other non-conference action. St. John's without Pasha Alexander. They barely got by St. Francis Brooklyn 76-70 and they were down two at the break 40-38 and St. Saint, St. Francis started off really well. They started up they started off up 16-4 and actually it was 19-6 with you know just six and a half minutes into the game but St. John's you know they climbed their way back into it and eventually won 76-70 led by a game-high 23 points from Julian Champagny. And that was without him making a three. He was 0 for 4 from 3 and 10 for 20 from the floor. Six boards and five assists as well. They got 20 points from Montez Mathis, 10 points from Steph Smith, and starting in Pasha's place is Dylan Dadaiwusu, who scored 10 points and grabbed seven boards to go along with four assists. By the way, Smith had six dimes in this game. And Joel Soriano struggled too, just two points in 13 minutes. Meanwhile... Aaron Wheeler scored six points off the bench, and Tariq Coburn only had five. And St. John's, not only did they get pummeled on the glass, they got a rebound at 40-26, but St. Francis, was they made 11 three-pointers compared to St. John's only making three. Luckily for the Red Storm, they shot nearly 57% from the floor, so inside the arc, they made 30 of 44. Whereas St. Francis, they only shot at a 40% clip total for the game, and they were led by 19 from Tedrick Wilcox Jr., 
They also got 15 off the bench from Larry Moreno, 12 from Patrick Emelian, and an additional dozen from Michael Cubbage. So St. John's, they avoid an upset at Carneseca, winning by six. Meanwhile, in the battle for Atlantis, UConn won an absolutely bonkers game against Auburn. In double overtime, your final was 115 to 109, and that was Auburn's first loss of the year. And funny thing is, Auburn started off well, and you know, well, both teams, you know, were able to get pretty decently sized leads. Actually, no, 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 no. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of a different game. Well, UConn had a big lead, but they let it, they squandered it. And Auburn was able to force overtime, but in and it required more than just the one overtime. And UConn's able to win again. Final score was 115 to 109. So it was tied to 83 going into overtime. And how about the breakout breakout performance from Adama Sadogo? 30 points, which is a career high, and six rebounds. And he was 12 for 25 from the field, and six for seven from the free throw line. R.J. Cole also was great in this game, knocking down a lot of big shots when they mattered most. 24 points and six assists, and was 5 for 10 from behind the arc. UConn as a team was 15 of 26 from three, which not that far under 60%. And they also are rebounded the Tigers 48-35. Meanwhile, they got 13 from Tyrese Martin, although he did foul out, as did Andre Jackson and Isaiah Whaley. Auburn only had one player foul out, and that was Jabari Smith. But how about the contributions off the bench from Tyler Polly, who finished with 24 points in 32 minutes and was 6 of 9 from 3. Freshman Jalen Jordan Hawkins, excuse me, had 16 points and was 3 for 3 from 3 and 5 for 7 from the floor. And Jalen Gaffney didn't make a field goal, but did make six big free throws on eight attempts. As for Auburn, they were led by 27 by KD Johnson, 22 from Jabari Smith, 19 off the bench from Wendell Green Jr., and 12 from Jalen Williams. And they also got 14 from the North Carolina transfer. Walker Kessler, as he also grabbed 10 rebounds. So UConn, a wild win in their first game. However, they weren't able to duplicate that against Michigan State. Sparty led by as many as 14. UConn, they would not go away, though. And, you know, they they led for a lot of the late minutes of the second half, but... After UConn went up 60-55, Michigan State closed the game on a 9-0 run to win 64-60, and they took the lead for good on free throws by A.J. Hoggard. So UConn, tough way to suffer their first loss of the year. Despite 18-10 from Adama Sonogo, 16 and 12 from Tyrese Martin, 10 points from RJ Cole who fouled out. And that was with a shorter rotation. Meanwhile, for Michigan State, they played a lot more guys and they were led by 16 and 10 from Gabe Brown, 7 for 13 from the floor, 2 for 3 from behind the arc. And 15 huge points off the bench for Julius Marble. 
They also got six points from the Marquette transfer Joey Hauser off the bench. Five from Pierre Brooks and five from the aforementioned A.J. Hoggard. Seven from Marcus Bingham. Just six from Tyson Walker. So Michigan State, tough way for UConn to lose their first game of the year. But they did bounce back with an overtime win against VCU. And this was a back-and-forth game. So this is the game I was thinking of where both teams had their advantages and squandered leads. So UConn wins 70-63. They were down two at the break, tied it and sent it to overtime, tied at 56. And UConn outscores VCU 14-7 in overtime. Led by 26 big points from R.J. Cole. 16 from Isaiah Whaley. Andre Jackson only scored two points, but he grabbed a huge 14 rebounds. And the rebounding edge was big for UConn, 52-35 over the Rams. Jalen Gaffney off the bench scored eight. They got six points, only six points from Adama Sinogo, so an off night for him to go along with seven rebounds. Seven points, eight boards from Tyrese Martin as well. For VCU, they were led by 21, a game high from uh, team high from Jaden Nunn. However, no one else in double figures for the Rams. So UConn, they leave Atlantis with a 2-1 record. 70-63, your final in that game on Friday. Meanwhile, in the upseat NIT season tip-off, Xavier, you know, as we came to find out, they had some players who were sick in that game or were playing sick. But, I mean, even if they were healthy, I don't really know if they could have taken down Iowa State because, as we saw, not only did they beat Xavier, they beat Memphis. It was a, the number nine team in the country in Brooklyn in the title game of this tournament. So the foul score in this game, Iowa State wins 82-70. Xavier was up one at the break, but Iowa State pulls away in the second half to win. And for Xavier, they got 24 from Jack Nungy, 9 for 11 from the floor, 1 for 3 from 3. Colby Jones only scored 11 points, and but he did grab 12 rebounds. They got 10 off the bench from Dwan Odom. However, Paul Scruggs, Nate Johnson, Jerome Hunter, and Deontay Miles all in single figures. Meanwhile, for Iowa State, how about a monster game from Isaiah Brockington, the Penn State transfer with 30 points, 12 for 19 from the field, and 4 for 6 from 3. Well, Iowa State, they were 10 for 20 from 3, 50% on the nose. Xavier, on the other hand, was just 3 for 21. And Iowa State, you know, they were over 50% from the floor as well at 51.5%. Other notable scorers, they got 19 from Tyrese Hunter, the freshman. 12 from Gabe Kalsher. 10 from George Condit. So, the big contributions they got from the starters. So, Xavier, that was a tough way for them to lose their first game of the year. And then, without Jones, Miles... And, and I'm tr- I don't know why I'm blanking on who the other guy they were missing, but they're missing three players due to illness. And I know two of them. Jones, Miles, and the third one, I'm going to figure this out because I know I'm smart enough to figure that out. Jerome Hunter. So they were missing three starters in this game. So how, how did Travis Steele replace them? Well, he started Jack Nunji, he started Ben Stanley, and he started Dwan Odom. Stanley was quiet with no points. 
Nunji only scored 9 points, but he did grab 14 rebounds, which was a game high. And Dwan Odom, 8 points and 4 assists, a solid night for him in 30 minutes. So what they had to do, you know, Adam Kunkel played 16 minutes, only scored 2 points. Kiki Tandy knocked down a 3 in 16 minutes. And they had to play little-used freshman Cesar Edwards, who only scored 2 points. But he, you know, that's more than you could ever expect from him in normal circumstances in 14 minutes. Paul Scruggs only had five points, but he dished out seven assists. But obviously, who made the big plays and was the man for Xavier in this game? Nate Johnson. 30 points. And that was out of Xavier's 59. 7 for 11 from three. 10 for 14 from the floor. And Johnson. Knocked down a huge three with... About 25 seconds to go that put Xavier ahead for good by one. And they got a stop on the other end to seal it. So for Virginia Tech, who sat uh, lost this game by just one point, they were led by Naheem Aline with 18. They got 13 from Hunter Couture and 12 from the Wofford transfer, Kevin Aluma. Speaking of another Wofford transfer, Storm Murphy, he didn't score at all while battling foul trouble, and then they got six off the bench from Sean Padula and four from Darius Maddox. 5.11 rebounds from Justin Mutz. But Xavier, they avoid going 0-2 in Brooklyn. They escape against Vatek 59-58. And another Feast Week tournament, Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday, Georgetown was at the Anaheim Convention Center in the Wooden Legacy against San Diego State first, where they lost 73-56. And they were down four with 9.39 to go. But as Matt D. Marinas chronicled on Twitter, their final 16 possessions were terrible. They turned it over seven times and didn't make a single field goal. And San Diego State closed the game on a 16-3 run to pull away and win by 17. So, 20 points from Aminu Muhammad goes to the wayside. And Dante Harris had a good game too. He had 19 points himself. However, Georgetown struggled from three, shooting, shooting just four for 20. And outside of Muhammad and Harris, they didn't get much from anybody else. Other than Caden Rice, who scored eight. Meanwhile, for San Diego State, 16 points was a team high for Matt Bradley. Sorry, did I say 16? He had 18. 16 points from Lamont Butler. And they also got 8 points from Kashad Johnson. 7 from Trey Pulliam. They also got 8 huge points off the bench from Tahiru Diabate. So, Georgetown against a clearly superior San Diego State team. They fall by 17. Black Friday, they they they, they were the better team in this game against St. Joe's. However, a slow start again jeopardizes Georgetown's chances of winning as they fall to the Hawks 30, uh, 77-74. And they really had no answer for Taylor Funk. 29 points, 8 for 10 from 3, 9 for 11 from the field. And... It also helps he got some help from Obina, uh, specifically GK Obina with 17 points and 13 from Jordan Hall. Meanwhile, for Georgetown, Caden Rice is brilliant with 25 points, 7 of 13 from 3, 9 for 15 from the floor, 
Rice made seven threes in this game by himself. Georgetown as a team the day before made just four. Meanwhile, Dante Harris played great again. 17 points and six assists. Donald Carey scored 12. And they also got five, uh, 10 points combined, five apiece, from Colin Holloway and Ryan Matumbo. And both of them played under 10 minutes off the bench. Meanwhile, Timothy Egofe, three block shots, 14 rebounds, but he finished with just four points and also about foul trouble. So Georgetown, the expectation was to leave Anaheim with a win. However, they go 0-2 and fall under 500 now at 2-3. Other notable non-conference action over the weekend. DePaul beat Northern Kentucky by 9 on Max Struess night. The Heat were playing the Bulls the next night. So... DePaul legend, and he did it in just two years. I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Max Drew's the most underrated Big East player of the new Big East era. Period. People overlook him because he went to DePaul. And now look what he's doing with the Heat. He's good. I. The only thing that sucks about it, more people should have been there because Max Drew's, the way he played, instilled more confidence and elevated the status of that program. But DePaul in front of Struess and a couple other Heat players, they win by nine over Northern Kentucky, 77-68. Another monster performance from Javon Freeman-Liberty. 20 points and 12 boards to go along with three assists. Eight for 15 from the floor, two of three from three. They got 17 from Nick Onjenda. And he also blocked four shots in this game. David Jones, 15.7 boards. 10 points and nine boards from Brandon Johnson. Eight points from Philmon Geberwitt. And for Northern Kentucky, off the bench, they got 23 points from Marquez Warwick. And from the starters, 14 from Trayvon Faulkner and 10 from Sam Vinson. So DePaul stays unbeaten with that win. Other action Saturday. Uh, so moving on to Saturday, I should say. Providence beats St. Peter's 85-71. A, I guess this should be remembered as the Noah Horkler game. 9 for 10 from the floor, 3 for 4 from 3, 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. What a monster game from the North Florida transfer. Meanwhile, they got 23 points and 6 boards from Nate Watson, 12 from A.J. Reeves, and 11 from Al Durham. And they withstood a monster game from St. Peter's' Daryl Banks, who finished with 26 points. And they got 16 also from Doug Eater, and 13 from Fosini Drami. So Providence, good bounce back win after a tough loss to UVA, 85-71. St. John's, it looked like they were going to cruise to a win after a slow start against NJIT. They were up two at the break and then went up by 16 in the second half. However, they squandered that lead and NJIT forced overtime, tied at 63, but St. John's, they just had enough in the tank to outscore NGIT, and they blew them out in overtime 14-5 to win 77-68, so not a pretty win for the Johnnies. Too straight, I should say, in that fashion. Joel Soriano, 16 points, 9 rebounds. Posh Alexander in his return to the lineup, 16 points, 4 boards, and 7 assists. And but However, he was just 1 for 6 from 3, 6 for 16 from the field. And as a whole, St. John's didn't shoot the three ball well. They were just around 20% from three and a little under 40% from the field. However, they did out-rebound NGIT by a dozen. 
They also got... And the funny thing is, you know, St. John's won this game despite only 14 from Julian Champagne, although he did have a double-double grabbing 10 rebounds. Montez Mathis, 10 points, 7 boards, 3 assists. 8 huge points to go along with 6 boards and 3 assists from Dylan Adaiwusu. And for NGIT, they were led by a game-high 19 from Dylan O'Hearn and 17 from James Lee. They also got 11 from Miles Coleman. And 12 off the bench from Makai Gray. But St. John's, they avoid a bad loss, beating NGIT in overtime. Speaking of teams that kind of struggled, Creighton nearly fell to SIU Edwardsville. Just kind of like they did against Kennesaw State and against Arkansas Pine Bluff. They fell behind early and were down by a dozen at the break. However, a big second half propels Creighton to a 70-65 win. And they were led by 14 by Ryan Hawkins. They also got 13 from Ryan Kalkbrenner, 12 from Arthur Kaluma, and 11 from Alex O'Connell. How about 9 off the bench for Trey Alexander? And Ryan Nemhart only had 9 points, but he did dish out 5 assists. Meanwhile, for SIU Edwardsville, they were led by 17 from Sean Taylor and 13 from Dewan Pruitt. Oh, and also factor in 10 from Lamar Wright. And 13 off the bench from Shamar Wright. So Creighton, they went down to the wire against Southern Illinois, and then against Southern Illinois Edwardsville. It also goes down to the wire, although this is a game that shouldn't have gone that way, especially because it was in Omaha. But Creighton wins, escaping 70-65. And they're lucky because SAU Edwardsville was just 1 for 15 from 3. Not pretty, but it's a win nevertheless. Meanwhile, Marquette, they bounce back with. Uh, they continue. Um, actually, no, they haven't played since the uh, St. Bonaventure loss. So their first game since that, they bounce back with an 80-66 win over Northern Illinois, led by 15 from Justin Lewis, who is efficient. Six for seven from the field, knocked down his only three pointer of the game, grabbed six rebounds. They got 11 off the bench from freshman Stevie Mitchell, and they got 10 each from starters Tyler Kolick and Daryl Morcel. And every player off the bench for Marquette scored. And that included Joplin, Igadaro, Ellis, Jones, and Elliott. Meanwhile, for the Huskies of Northern Illinois, they were led by 17 from Keyshawn Williams. They got 14 from Zul Queth, 12 from Caleb Thornton, and 10 from Adong McCoy. So Marquette. Solid bounce back effort. They win 80-66 back at Fiserv. Now on Sunday, Seton Hall. They started off decently. But Bethune-Cookman, to their credit, they didn't budge. And they were led by a monster monster game from Joe French, who poured in 30 on the Pirates. And Bethune-Cookman went up one at the break, 34-33. But Seton Hall, they're able to pull away and win 84-70. And it was a real balanced effort. Jared Roden led the way with 18 points in 26 minutes. Alexis Yetna got more out of him, which was great. 14 points, 13 rebounds in 24 minutes. Meanwhile, 11 points off the bench for Tyree Samuel. He also got 11 from Jameer Harris. Six points, seven boards, six assists. So 
This guy, Kadari Richmond, really stuffed the stat sheet for the Hall. And Trey Jackson, eight points and six boards after a rough couple games in Fort Myers. So outside of French, not really much for Bethune-Cookman other than 11 points from Marcus Garrett. Meanwhile, for DePaul, they stayed unbeaten with a with an absolute demolition of Eastern Michigan, 101 to 63. It started off slow, you know. Eastern Michigan tied it at 22 with about seven and a half minutes left in the first half, and from that point on, DePaul outscores Eastern Michigan 79 to 41. And guess who led the way again? Javon Freeman Liberty. 22 points, 6 boards, 4 assists. Kind of like Adama Sonogo, a guy who's become a sleeper for Biggie's Player of the Year and for Biggie's first team. 9 for 14 from the floor, 4 for 6 from 3, and he only played 24 minutes and put those numbers up. They got 16 from Mongenda to go along with 6 points and 3 blocks. 14 off the bench from Covizier McCauley. 11 from Yoranai, also off the bench. 12 from David Jones. 10 from Brandon Johnson. 9 from Phil Mongebrowit. And Jalen Terry, who just became eligible, you know, in the season debut against Northern Kentucky. 5 points and 4 assists, and against Eastern Michigan, another 5 points. Just 1 assist in that game. So, Terry's going to get his footing right eventually, but, you know, for the first two games... Not too shabby. So DePaul, 2-0. Meanwhile, Villanova, after a tough loss to Purdue in the championship game of the Hall of Fame tip-off, after a week off, they beat LaSalle at the Palestra, 72-46, and Villanova put on a clinic, offensively and defensively. They led 42-17 at the break and pulled away to a 26-point win. And... Their leading scorer was Colin Gillespie. He only had 13 points. And he also tallied six boards and five assists. They got 12 from Brandon Slater, 11 from Eric Dixon to go with eight rebounds, 11 from Caleb Daniels off the bench, and they got nine from Justin Moore and eight from Jermaine Samuels. So really balanced scoring. As for LaSalle, they got 17 from Khalil Brantley, who I believe scored the first 12 points of the game or something like that. And then Jameer uh, Jameer Brickus had 13 for the Explorers. And Villanova defended them very well. They held just 25.5% from the floor and just 28.6% from three. And they also out-rebounded LaSalle 50-30. So that was the week that was in the Big East all throughout Feast Week. But coming up next, we saw the Gavit games where the Big East Throttling the Big Ten six games to two. What's going to happen in the Big East Big 12 battle? Ten games. Last year it was a 3-3 split with four games getting canceled. And the last time there was a full ten-game slate, the Big East won it 8-2 over the Big 12. So in the third annual battle, will the Big 12 get its revenge or will the Big East duplicate their performance like they duplicate that performance from the Gavit games where they dominate another Power 5 conference? Ryan Patty... And Pat Madden will join me next to discuss that in the opening slate of games, which includes Providence hosting Texas Tech, St. John's hosting Kansas in the first ever game at UBS Arena for the Red Storm, and then Creighton hosting Iowa State and Xavier visiting Oklahoma State. We're going to take a look at all four of those games coming up right after this. 
Week one of the Big East Big 12 battle is ready to go, and I can't believe we're already here. We got four games on the slate, including Providence, St. John's, Creighton, and Xavier all in action this week as part of the Big East Big 12 battle. And joining me to preview this slate, of course, regular of the show, Pat Madden from the Big Big East blog. And then, of course, a guy that I've been looking to get on, me and him go way back to our days from Seton Hall. He now covers high school sports for NJ.com and the Star Ledger. And he knows his Big 12 because, as I came to know, he's been a lifelong Kansas fan and obviously he has familiarity with the Big East considering him and I both went to Seton Hall, Ryan Patty. Gentlemen, welcome inside the Igloo, and I uh, can't believe you know we're already here getting to preview some Big East Big 12 battle games. Oh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, Tim, appreciate you having me on. Uh, I always wanted to get on. Even though I cover high school football, for the most part, I love my college basketball. It's, in my opinion, the best sport out there. Uh, whether you're in the crowd or uh, on your couch, it's unbelievable to, to follow, cover, and appreciate you having me on. So let's get right into it. Wednesday, I mean, it's only appropriate that the first day of December brings us this first Big East Big 12 battle game. And it's an intriguing matchup. Texas Tech and Providence at the dunk. Uh, so Providence is 2-0 and in the Big East Big 12 battle. They knocked off Texas back in 2019. And then last year, they went down to Fort Worth and knocked off TCU. Texas Tech, you know, they have some studs on their team. They brought in O'Banner from Oral Roberts, a team that went to the Sweet 16 last year as a 15 seed. And, yeah, I, I know they, they lost a lot. Chris Beard moved on to Texas. And, obviously, another player they lost, obviously, for Big East fans that know him, obviously, from previously from Georgetown, Mac Plung. But this, is, this seems like a pretty equal matchup. And for the Red Raiders, Ryan, I know, again, they lost Chris Beard and – all those guys that I mentioned, but you bring in a guy like O'Banner that keeps them at that level and still being a good quality team that can win a game like this going into a tough road environment like the dunk. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and the thing you got to remember, too, is that uh, Mark Adams is a Chris Beard guy. They went pretty much in-house and made the Mark Adams hire. Uh, they still have Taryn Shannon. He was uh, getting, I guess, eligibility reviewed for the first couple games. Now he's back. And he's leading the team in scoring in the three games he's played. Uh, Oscar De Silva uh, has been pretty good as well. Is that uh, is it Oscar De Silva? No, is that the Stanford guy? Uh, no, the uh, Santos. Marcus. Santa, Marcus. Marcus. Marcus Santos Santo Silva. Silva. Yeah, Please right. Yeah, guy. Santos Silva. Santos Silva. Yeah. So uh, he's back as well. He's tough, you know, under the basket to deal with. And yeah, I, I think this Texas team is is gritty, but it's gonna it's gonna be tough because it's in Providence. So. Uh, this is Texas Tech's really first true road test. And that's, I mean, in college basketball, uh, that first true road game is, is what makes things interesting. So, Pat, for you, obviously Providence is defending their home court. You know, they've been successful. Like I said, they're 2-0 in the Big East Big 12 battle. But, again, they're coming off. I know they won their last game when they beat St. Peter's. But, you know, against Virginia in the Legends Classic in the title game on Tuesday, they didn't look that good. So, you know, I know they had a bounce back game in between, but, you know, what do they got to really do in order to win this kind of game? Right. A lot of a lot of Providence fans thought that they played decent defense in that game on Tuesday night. But if you really look at, you know, Virginia was able to get whatever shots they wanted 
It's just that Virginia didn't knock down as many shots as they possibly could have, and they were playing a slow tempo. So you see 58-40, and you're like, oh, Providence only gave up 58 points. But when Virginia dictated the tempo and was able to get whatever shots they wanted, it, it didn't really look – I didn't think Providence looked particularly good in that game. Now, you go to a guy like Terrence Shannon, if he's – if Providence can't find a guy to slow him down and he goes off for – you know, 25, 30 points, Providence could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, the flip side to that is how does Texas Tech slow down Nate Watson? Uh, do they have to go into sort of like a double or triple team strategy the way that Northwestern and Virginia did? Or are they going to rely on a guy like Santo Silva to try to, you know, man them up one to one and then let the other guys uh, in the back, it, the other guys on the perimeter just uh, defend guys like Reeves and Horschler and uh, some of the other guys on Providence who can hurt you uh, from the perimeter. So the funny thing is, I was actually thinking about this. The last time um, Texas Tech, so they didn't participate last year in the Big East Big 12 ballot due to COVID, but when they, I, and I know they lost at DePaul, but DePaul was playing lights out then. Terrence Shannon Jr., who is a Chicago native, by the way, had a monster game. He had a lot of big shots and finished with 24 points in that game, which led all scorers for the Red Raiders. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he went off in this game too, but, uh, you know, just to obviously, so we know the important keys in this game, uh, and this seems like a pretty equal matchup. So, you know, who, so who ultimately gets the edge in this game and wins and why Pat, I'll start with you. I'm going to give Providence a slight edge. I, I have a feeling that, uh, they've played reason they've played very good in close games. So now some of those games shouldn't have been close, like, you know, Fairfield shouldn't have been close. And uh, St. Peter's got a little bit closer than it should have been. But I think that there's a mental toughness with this Providence team. It comes a little bit from having a guy like Al Durham, who has played reasonably well for Providence and is coming from, uh, uh, coming from Indiana. He's played a lot of tough games. I think Watson really wants to make that NCAA tournament this year. So in that sense, I think that, you know, and, and as Ryan hinted, Texas Tech has not played anybody yet. You know, new coach, new roster, uh, facing their first hostile environment. Uh, you know, I mean, not that Texas Tech doesn't have, there's still a lot of the Chris Beard mentality at Texas Tech, but it could be something where, you know, this is something where this could be asking a little bit too much at Texas Tech. So I'm going to give Providence a slight edge, maybe about a four or five point win here. Brian, for you. Yeah, I'm actually going to go the other way. I'm going to go Texas Tech. Uh, I think that Mark Adams has just done a great job uh, to begin. It's going to be tough. I mean, like uh, like we said, I think it's going to be that that four to five point game. But I got to go with Texas Tech. I think they've showed enough. And, and Shannon uh, has only played half their games. And I think he adds a totally different element. So I'm going to go uh, Texas Tech in a, in a one or two possession game. And, and, you know, that's a really fair point. Uh, you know, I, I it, when, I, when I heard the name Shannon, I'm like, why do I think that's so familiar? Because I've seen him go off against a Big East team before. So, I mean, it's good that I had that recall to, to that DePaul game a few year, couple years ago. But for me, I don't know. Based on what I saw, you know, winning at Wisconsin, and we saw what Wisconsin did, you know, in, in the Maui, quote-unquote, invitational, uh, we're winning that thing. So, you know, like I'm like Providence knows how to beat some good teams and I, Texas tech should be no exception. So I'm going to go with the Friars with that home court. I'm going to, I'm going to take them get, and given their past history in the big, biggest big 12 battle, 
I'm going to give them, again, I'm going to give them a slight edge. But I think the real blockbuster of the week, Friday night, first basketball game to be held at UBS Arena on Long Island. St. John's playing host to Kansas. Uh, Patty, your Jayhawks are going to be going there. I know, you know, considering you're in New Jersey and, you know, you were in New York for the Champions Classic this year. I know that's a place you got to get to for sure. Uh, But from your Jayhawks perspective, I mean, I know they they came off a really heartbreaking setback against Dayton in the ESPN Events Invitational. Uh, So obviously they're going to take a dip in the rankings. But, you know, for you personally, um, the St. John's team, they know what they're doing. Um, They have a good roster. Um, But for the Jayhawks, I mean, they, they shouldn't be just overlooking St. John's in this game. So what's going to be the most important things for them as they go into their first, I know they've been to New York before, but this is their first true road game of the season. Right. You know, I, I think it's going to be interesting because this Candace team, albeit them being pretty experienced, they can't guard anyone. And it's not just a four guard lineup. You know, David McCormick's had his struggles keeping people in front of him. Uh, I think uh, JC is going to be a very, very tough matchup uh, for whoever guards them. You know, I don't know what they're going to do to guard him. Is it going to be Egbaji guarding him? Uh, are they going to put a bigger body on him? I, I really don't know. Uh, and is Posh Alexander healthy? Is he going to suit up? Oh, yeah, you know, he's he's probably going to play. He played on uh, he played on Saturday. Uh, I forgot who they played on Saturday, but NGIT he played, and they won it yeah, overtime. Yeah, they had. They struggled, which I'll get into that after you can. Alexander's going to play in that game unless he injures himself in practice. But yeah, that's that's going to be the big uh, the big question mark is if Kansas can guard for the full forty minutes, and that's really what it's going to come down to. I think that depending on what happens, it's going to be uh, a pretty close game. It could even flip who wins the game if Kansas is really that bad defensively. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what it's going to come down to. It's all, it's all about Candace's defense because it's been pretty bad. They gave up 83 to Iona uh, yesterday. So, Pat, for you, uh, on the St. John's side, uh, obviously, so we knew Posh played in their last game against NJIT, albeit in an overtime game that, you know, they blew a 16-point lead. You know, like, let, you know, let's not gloss over that. But, I mean, if there's any way St. John's can win, it's that if their star players, Posh and Champagny, play to the level that they're expected to and that the you know the second generation if you will the 40 minutes of hell from nolan richardson works out for mike anderson yeah there's two things i'm i'm thinking about in that matchup one is i'm not sure that saint john's has a front court guy who's emerged right now who i feel comfortable matching up against david mccormick for kansas uh you know soriano had a decent game against njit but Aaron Wheeler, Aaron Wheeler hasn't gotten off to the start that I think St. John's fans were looking for. And Omar Stanley is still a freshman. He was decent early on, you know, didn't show a lot in that Indiana game a couple of weeks ago. So in that sense, if Kansas can, let's say, not turn the ball over so much. And a lot of that goes to Remy Martin, who the transfer from Arizona State, great scorer. But can he really run an offense? And can he handle Tosh Alexander if Alexander is close to 100%? Because Alexander has made other point guards look, you know, look horrible in terms of getting him to turn the ball over, getting him to make bad passes, 
getting them to rush their offense. So it might be something where if you're Bill Self, yeah, you like having a guy like Remy Martin who can shoot from anywhere uh, and has good range, but is he going to hurt you when you're asking him to handle the ball? So that's, that's what I think are the keys to the matchup. Can Kansas get into their half-court offense? And if they can, does St. John's have any hope of slowing down their more experienced and more talented front court? So, I mean, you know, obviously Kansas was, you know, a top five team in the country. You know, they've been that the first few weeks, you know, obviously at the time of recording, you know, the, AP, the new AP poll hasn't come out just yet. So, um, you know, we don't know if they will be still in the top five in a matter of a couple hours. But, you know, for St. John's, you know, they really want a signature win. They missed out on, on their only other opportunity for a big win against a power five team against I against Indiana. So they really don't want to squander this opportunity, but is now the question becomes guys is Kansas too good for St. John's to handle. And will Kansas come away with a win on long Island? Ryan, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, as a Kansas fan, bias aside, I'm going to say, so I think, uh, you know, we were talking about good points with, um, with, with St. John's and their kind of ferocious defense, but you mentioned Remy Martin, a guy like Dwan Harris is going to play a factor too. He's another ball handler out there. Christian Brown can also handle the ball a little bit. Candace likes to bring guards off the bench, Bobby Pettiford, uh, Joey Yusufu. So there's depth and other guys who can handle the ball aside from Martin. And I think that Candace will have no problem breaking the press. I really think that Candace's main struggles are going to be defending. I really think JC could go off for 30 something points. Posh is going to score a lot as well. And I see Candace winning a close game in the 80, something like 85, 80. It's going to be an up-tempo game, high scoring game. And I think it's going to come down to who can make the most stops late. I'd like to, I'd like to give St. John's fans some hope here, but I have to agree with Ryan on this. I think there's just too much on the Kansas roster for St. John's to hold off when we get to, when we get to the end of that game. Now, of course that crowd's going to be great. Uh, if there's any game St. John's is going to get up for before we get to Biggie's play, it's that game Friday night uh, against Kansas. But I think it's just a matter of, you know, again, if there was somebody else had emerged from St. John's besides Alexander and Champagne uh, off to a good start, I would, I would feel more comfortable picking St. John's, but I just can't see anybody out there who I can say is going to be like the third option on Friday night, either as either defensively or offensively, which will offset the advantages Kansas has in terms of talent, in terms of size. So I'm with Ryan. I, I like the fact it's going to be probably in the seventies or the eighties. And I think Kansas manages to pull it out by about four to six points. So I'm going to go KU also. I think, you know, St. John's, I know, again, I know this, this is one of like two opportunities for a quote unquote big win, but given how they looked against NGIT, obviously I'm shaky and it's going to be like, if they looked like that against NGIT, I mean, you would hope that they would improve, but I mean, obviously going to overtime against NGIT, uh, that's not promising. And if, I, if Kansas I, looks the way they played against Dayton though, Tim, uh, you know, St. John's yeah. has a chance. Yep, that, that, that's 100% a fair point. Obviously, Feast Week brought its fair share of surprises, and that, that's a perfect segue because one of those big surprises was Iowa State, who went into Brooklyn, knocked off not one but two top 25 teams. They knocked off Xavier, and they knocked off number nine Memphis. And not only did they win, 
they they opened up a can in that in both of those games. So this might be a top 25 Iowa State team coming into Omaha to take on a Creighton team that is six and one. Um, it, most likely they'll play North Dakota State Tuesday, which I'm assuming they'll win. So they'll be seven and one going into that game. Uh, Ryan, I know for you, you've got to be surprised at what Iowa State's done so far this year. Uh, but obviously, you know, as we were talking about beforehand, you know, is it sustainable? That's going to be a question to answer down the line. But for right now, Cyclones look really good. Yeah, you mentioned if it's sustainable or not. Uh, you might see my opinion on that in the prediction uh, for this game. But TJ Ulterberg has done an awesome job. It, it's really been crazy. And I've never been on the Steve Prohm train. I've always been more of a Hoiberg guy, even though Hoiberg had his, had his flaws as a coach. But uh, Ulterberg has done an awesome job, and it kind of – shows you how, I guess, poor of a coach Steve Prohm was uh, stepping in for Hoiberg. Took a lot of talented teams and really didn't get a lot out of them. You look at this team, they have Brocken in, they, they bring in Eno Runa from, uh, uh, from Kansas. They've uh, found ways to get a lot out of the team that was picked to finish at the bottom of the Big 12. It's early in the year, early in the year, but they've looked pretty good. You know, you look at that tournament in Brooklyn, that's normally a tournament where you'd look at Iowa State and you see them getting throttled in both games. But, hey, I mean, <laughs> they went out and, and, and did the throttling. <laughs> so, Pat, on the Creighton side for you, I mean, this is a young team. I know they have one loss under their belt, and it came against a pretty good Colorado State squad, mind you. Uh, but obviously, you know, they've they, they strangely enough, they beat Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska a couple weeks ago. But – um, obviously in a game like this, I mean, you know, before the season, I'm like, okay, that Creighton is a lock in this situation, but given how Iowa state's played and given how Creighton has looked in some games, you know, it's kind of tough to go with Creighton, but you know, what's going to be important for Creighton to win a game like this. I think they have to sort of establish who has a good shooting touch early in this game. Uh, because some of the problems that Creighton is having is that, you know, you can't tell which guy on any given night is going to be hot. Is Nemhart going to have the hot hand in one game? Is Kaluma going to have the hot hand? Is it going to be O'Connell? Is it going to be Hawkins? And it takes a while for Creighton to sort of, you know, get its, get its feet from under them. Even, uh, even I think, the consolation game, they were losing to Southern Illinois down in, uh, in the Virgin Islands until Nemhart, you know, until they made a big rally down deep. They even struggled the other night at home. Uh, they've struggled most of the season. The only really good game they've played as far as, you know, my opinion would be was the game they beat Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now the flip side to that is that this game's going to be in, in, in front of a packed house in Omaha. Uh, Creighton does not like beating Creighton gets up when they play big 12 rivals. They played a big game last year out, out of Kansas. Uh, they don't like being pushed around because again, you know, they're in big 12 country out there in Omaha. So losing a game to an Iowa State or losing a game to, game to Kansas really does have an impact as to the, percep the perception of where they are in terms of a lot of their local rivals. So I think if, there's, if that crowd's going to be fired up, uh, again, Iowa State has not faced a hostile environment yet. Uh, you know, there, there weren't huge crowds in Brooklyn for those games. Uh, they did a very impressive job. Uh, finding the weaknesses in a, in what we thought was a top 10 Memphis team and they just humiliated them. Now, can they find the same weaknesses against Creighton? 
absolutely. Could they, you know, slow the game down? Uh, Creighton's defense is not the, has not been the best yet. So you got opportunities for Kelsher uh, and some of the other players for Iowa State to do some damage in that game. So this is a, this is a much more intriguing matchup than we thought when they put the schedule out a few months ago. So, I mean, obviously with this Creighton team, you know, if there's anything that might be detrimental to a possible victory, it's it's obviously the youth, although the youth is pretty damn talented with Nemhard, Arthur Kaluma, you know, list goes on. And obviously they have the nice mix of, you know, the veteran talent with Hawkins and Kalkbrenner and O'Connell. But again, you know, like now, again, like I said before, preseason, this looked like a lock for Creighton. Now this looks more like a toss up. Uh, so, Pat, I'll start with you this time. Uh, can Creighton get it done in front of that packed house at the CHI Health Center? Yes, and I would predict I'm going to predict them to win by about you know maybe three four points in this game. I think it's something where you know Kansas uh, Iowa State has some great uh, great playmakers Brockington Cal Kelsher. We know they've got some great playmakers. I think Nemhart is the most talented guy on the court. And I think one thing that's emerging with Nemhart is that he's got that instinct in the closing minutes to find a way to beat somebody. So for my, for if I was, you know, my, my pick's going to be Creighton because I think that they, they're, they seem to have this thing where they can make plays in the late minutes of close games. So I'm going to give Creighton the slight edge simply on that and the home court advantage. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Creighton's going to get it done. I think this is a humbling game for Iowa State. Granted, you know, they might have proven themselves as a team that could make the tournament through the first couple games. Uh, I think you've kind of seen that ceiling from them, but this is going to be uh, – we talked about the first true road test and how in, important that is in college basketball. And you look at a place like, uh, like uh, Creighton, and that's a top 20 environment in the country without, without question. So – I think Iowa State's going to go in there, be a little rattled, turn the ball over a little bit. And I look at a guy like Alex O'Connell who hasn't shot the ball great to begin the year, but this is a guy who could maybe catch hot in a game like this and, and, and dump in five or six threes. So I'm going, with, uh, I'm going with Creighton here. I think they find a way to get it done and, and kind of uh, cool Iowa State down. So I know. I'm I just want to make a, one very quick point. Ryan mentioned O'Connell there. A lot of Creighton fans I was reading about watching some of their recent games have noticed that O'Connell has taken a lot more of a leadership role and they're very impressed with his passing. So that could be one thing which could give them an advantage. O'Connell, of course, is an old Duke recruit. So we know he was a very high rated talent coming out of high school. So he could be sort of like an X factor in this game in terms of maybe he's got that, you know, that that talent and that instinct that could maybe just give Creighton that much of an edge. So I'm shocked that I'm going to differ from y'all because I'm going to go with the Cyclones and it's going to go down to the wire. And, you know, as, as I watched and, you know, looking at some of the scores, you know, the way they've struggled in certain games against teams like Arkansas Pine Bluff, Kennesaw state, SIU Edwardsville, most recently, uh, you know, I don't know, just with the, the role that Iowa State's on right now, you know, it's very hard to get them off of that role. So I think it's going to be tight. But for some reason, I think because of that, you know, the heavy presence of freshmen, uh, granted they're talented, but again, it, it's a lot. And in a game like this, they might falter. Um, so I'm going to go with the Cyclones. I think Brockington will 
ultimately, you know, become an X factor in this game. And, and, you know, like I'm shocked then again, I'm differing from y'all, but uh, I'm going with Iowa state in this game as shocking as that may sound. Uh, but, uh, and then finally on Sunday, we got Xavier and Oklahoma state at Gallagher, Iba, um, Oklahoma state, you know, they won on the road last time they had a big East big 12 battle game. You know, Kate Cunningham led them to victory in Milwaukee against Marquette. And then the year before though, they got waxed by Georgetown. Uh, back when Mac McClung was still, you know, healthy on the roster and all that. Uh, but for the Cowboys, you know, they've gotten off to a good, uh, a good start, at, you know, with only one loss under their belt against Oakland. They got a big win at Oral Roberts. They played Wichita State during the week. And, you know, based on how the Cowboys look against the Shockers, that might dictate how things go. Uh, but from the Big East side of things, Xavier's going to fall out of the rankings. We know that much. But what we don't know is the status of Zach Freeman, who dressed Friday for their game against Virginia Tech, but didn't play. But there is a chance, Pat Madden, that he might suit up for the first time this year against the Cowboys in Stillwater. I, I, I'm hearing a lot of people say that Fremantle's a lot further ahead than they thought he was a few weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, one thing to think about is what has Xavier's, Xavier hasn't done poorly without Fremantle, by the way. Uh, they, they did beat Virginia Tech uh, the other night. I think they're also missing uh, Hunter, Jerome Hunter, that they got one of the forwards who was supposed to be filling in, and Deontay Miles. And Colby so they Jones, left it all. too. Colby Jones, too. Yes. So they left it all up on Jack Nunge, and Nate, Nate Johnson was phenomenal. Now, Johnson, of course, is up and down. Uh, you know, he has some good nights. He had a huge night. He just blew Virginia Tech up on Friday night. So there are a lot of landmines that Oklahoma state has to navigate. Nate Johnson could go off on you. If Colby Jones is healthy, he could go off. Adam Kunkel can put points on the board. Paul Scruggs, uh, obviously he, his reputation precedes him. Uh, and then Nunch has, Nunch has somehow, you know, now that he's been given a bigger role in more minutes and has been asked to do more on the offense for Xavier, Nunch is coming into his own for, for, for Xavier. So they have a lot of people who have emerged early in this season that offset the absence of Fremantle. I don't want to give, you know, put Oklahoma state too far down. You know, Isaiah likely has been there forever and, you know, he's, he's a solid player. Uh, Moncrief, who's the sophomore who was supposed to be a big deal going to Oklahoma state has been off to a little bit of a slow start for them. Keelan Boone's a big guy who Xavier's going to have to account for. Uh, he's off to a pretty good start for Oklahoma State. So, interesting matchup. I think the crowd's going to be a little bit iffy. Sunday afternoon, uh, they're not playing a Big 12 opponent. I don't know if the Oklahoma, I don't know if the Oklahoma State fans are going to be into it. Plus, you know, as Ryan can vouch for, they're on a postseason ban. That probably could be overturned. But I think that's taken the air out of the balloon a little bit for Oklahoma State this season. So, I'll be interested to see how they show up in let's say their first big game of the season against Xavier. Yeah, Pat, I completely agree with your, uh, your stance on the crowd. You know, they only Gallagher arena it can be a good environment when, when the fans want it to be. Uh, there's some games where they just check out and they don't show they're not loud. Uh, I can tell you whenever Kansas is in town, that's a crazy environment and that's a, an environment Kansas struggles in, but in Oklahoma, Exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the crowd is going to be a little down, you know, and I, I thought that 
this postseason ban would kind of motivate this team. It's actually gone the other way. It sucked the air out of them. And that's kind of a shame because this is a pretty good team. You know, you got the Boons, you got Anderson, uh, Bryce Thompson, the Kansas transfer. Isaac Likely is a fantastic player, can kind of do it all. So it's a little disappointing to see the start that Oklahoma State's gotten off to. Granted, they just got Bryson Williams back uh, and they just got um, uh, Caleb Boone back. So, you know, I think that's going to add a little bit into it, but Fremantle coming back would add a lot into it. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Xavier here. That's they're my, uh, my prediction. I think they find a way to get it done. They have the bodies and experience to get it done. You look at a guy like, uh, like Scruggs, that's the type of a guy who wins you these road games in the, in the dog days of college basketball. It's not the dog days right now. I mean, we're, we're still in November, but uh, that's the type of guy who can go into hostile environments, go into tough places to play and find a way to get wins for you. So Pat, well, who are you going with and why? I'm going to take Xavier as well. I, I think for some of the things that Ryan said, I think that, you know, Travis Steele gets up for games like this. He sees a big name, you know, early in the season. Like they've, they've won their, if I remember, if I'm correct, they won their last two big 12 back. They blew the doors over a very good Oklahoma team last year in the challenge. And they, they pummeled, TCU two years ago so this is the type of game where you know Steele gets these guys up for these early season games because he know, he's he's hoping that they translate to Big East results they haven't quite yet because Xavier you know for some reason doesn't get up as well and doesn't play as well when they get to Big East games but this is the type of game where they're playing it's an opponent who may not be as motivated if in a crowd that's not being motivated and Steel, Steel's going to probably inspire these guys to have a pretty good performance. I think I'm going to go Xavier, two possessions. Yeah, and so bear in mind, this is a 4 p.m. Central tip time on a football Sunday against a team from Cincinnati, Ohio. N- nowhere near Stillwater, Oklahoma. You're like, you really think these fans are going to give two shits? No, of course not. Even, even if Xavier was ranked, they wouldn't care. I mean, look what happened because Georgetown wasn't ranked. And Georgetown's a, like, I guess it's a, Ryan, you would agree that they're, granted, they're down too, but Georgetown's still a brand name in college basketball, right? Yeah, well, for sure. So, so and, and look what happened two years ago. They got murdered by Georgetown. Murdered. So, like, going to this game against Xavier, I mean, they're not going to get up for this game. Like, I, I guarantee those fans, I mean, they'll probably care more about the game a few days before against Wichita State because it's closer. They're not going to care about this team from Cincinnati. So, and again, the experience, how important that is. Guy like Scruggs, who was on that Xavier team as a freshman in 18, that was a one seed of the tournament with that great senior class of Blewett, Makura, and O'Mara. Um, you got a guy like Nate Johnson who just dropped 30 on Virginia Tech's head, and they only scored 59 in that game. Jack Nungy has emerged as a big-time scorer. And if at Fremail to the mix, that is a recipe for disaster for the Cowboys. And, you know, it's good that we have, you know, half of the four <laughs> games that we went over, you know, two of them were Hey, hey Ryan, pitches. but before we leave, we need to sit. Maybe maybe we should send this to Mike Boykin. He can play Timmy's rant and <laughs> <laughs> bulletin board material. Well, that, that, guy, that guy doesn't need more motivation. That, that's a very, very good motivated coach. I like Boykin. I think it's unfortunate what, you know, he got Cunningham. It, what's happening to him this year is unfortunate, but, you know, Oklahoma State's going to be a force in the new Big 12 in a couple of years. And, uh, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, so again, like I said, half the four games we picked were all consensus. Kansas St. John's being one, 
and this one. So I'm going to go with Xavier beating Oklahoma State. And I'll tell you, but I'll say, I'll say this though about Oklahoma State. It's really unfortunate, and I think it's I think it's a load of BS that you know they're getting this postseason ban over something that compared to what some other schools have done, like a Carolina, you know, not not nearly as Kansas. yet. <laughs> it, 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 oh, boo! Oh, you, you, listen, I was respectful enough to not go there. I'm just, I just know that North Carolina they sh- they they should have gotten way worse, but but instead Oklahoma State gets the postseason ban, North Carolina. Yeah, nothing. Well, we'll just we'll just gloss over that. But but again, so it's unfortunate they're a good enough team to be an NCAA tournament team, but they're facing a better team, and that's Xavier on Sunday. So I'm gonna go with X. So uh, that's the that's just the week one slate. And gentlemen, um, I think this is a very good preview. I think there's you know, granted there's against Kansas St. John's the headliner, but still the other three games are good in their own right, and it was good to get this really solid preview in. For this first week of games, uh, Pat Madden for the Big 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 East blog, and of course Ryan Patty, um, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Um, and we're, I, you know, just like me, I hope y'all are looking forward to a pretty good opening slate of games here in the Big East Big Twelve battle. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim, for having me. Glad to glad to come on. Hope we can do it again. Yeah, thank you, Tim. More on the igloo coming up after this. So welcome back. Shout out again, a great segment previewing, you know, the four games happening in the Big East Big 12 battle this week uh, with Ryan Patty and, of course, a consistent friend of the show, Pat Madden. So without further ado, uh, let's just take a look at the rest of at least the action going on tomorrow and Wednesday. Butler taking on yet another non-D1 opponent They face Chaminade on Wednesday of last week. And on Tuesday at home this time, they're facing Saginaw Valley State. Butler's got to figure it out. They have to. I mean, this is a game where they have time to figure out what it is they need to do to win. Well, I mean, obviously, they know what it takes to be a team like Saginaw Valley State. It's a matter of... Finding out how to beat a team like Oklahoma later. Finding out how to beat a team like Purdue, who's the number two team in the country right now. When they face him in two and a half weeks. This is where you figure that shit out. So Butler's going to beat Saginaw Valley State, but don't let them stay in the game, period. UConn hosts Maryland Eastern Shore at the XL Center. UConn's going to take care of business. And by the way, the Big East, you know, Pretty good showing in in the poll. Seton Hall State in the poll at number 25. UConn, as I just mentioned, is 17th in the country. Villanova is now number 6 after holding the number 7 spot a week ago. 7 o'clock FS2, Georgetown hosting Longwood. I'm expecting Georgetown to come back to Capital One Arena and bounce back with a win. Marquette hosts Jackson State. Should be an easy win for the Golden Eagles at Fiserv. And then on FS2, 9 o'clock, so that Marquette game is going to be on CBS Sportsnet. So Creighton hosting North Dakota State on FS2. I got the Blue Jays beating the Bison in that that one, although I think North Dakota State is going to keep it close. On Wednesday, FS1, 630, Xavier hosts Central Michigan. I mean, I'm taking the Muskies in that one, no questions asked. Meanwhile, 
Villanova now sixth in the country in another big five game. Visiting Penn. I'm going to take Nova beating the Quakers relatively easily. Seton Hall stayed in the poll at number 25. They'll host Wagner, who they faced very frequently in the last, you know, five five years at least. Maybe like more like six years, up like six to seven years, I should say. Seton Hall at Prudential, like those odds. I'm going to take the Pirates winning over the Seahawks. Although Wagner, you know, they've only played twice this year, shockingly, because they had COVID. Wipeout games against St. Peter's, NGIT, and Army. The two games they played, they won. They beat Hartford, and they went on the road and beat VCU by double digits. But St. Hall ain't VCU, and they ain't Hartford. So I'm taking the Pirates over Wagner. And then, as I mentioned um, on in the initial segment, Providence over Texas Tech, although it will be a tight one. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Igloo uh, thanks again to Ryan Patty and Pat Madden um, for breaking down Texas Tech Providence as well as you know the games coming up this weekend. Kansas St. John's, Iowa State Creighton, and Xavier Oklahoma State. So, tune in for another new episode of the Igloo tomorrow where I recap the remainder of the Women's Feast Week, which includes you know the Cancun Challenge where Seton Hall was, the Gulf Coast Showcase where St. John's was, and lastly, Marquette, who competed uh, down in Florida at the Daytona Beach Invitational. And, of course, the Women's Paradise Jam, where DePaul was, facing you know a plethora of good competition. So I'll recap that and, of course, look ahead to you know the midweek slate. You know, it's pretty light. But then next week, but... Over the weekend, Biggie's play officially tips off, um, and it'll be a very good slate. So I will preview, you know, the next couple games happening Tuesday and Wednesday, and of course, I'll set the table for the first games of the Biggie's conference season on the women's side on the next episode of the Igloo tomorrow. Until next time, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo once again. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch y'all tomorrow for the women's episode.